Hey everyone, we're back with another week of Find Your Film. We just got off pretty much a 45 to 50, I'm thinking 50 minute interview with director, producer, writer Joe Russo. His most recent film was The Au Pair Nightmare, which we all love. That That is thanks to Eric Holmes, who actually suggested this Lifetime movie to, for us. And we're going to just really talk about that a little bit for on this episode as well. You're going to hear a snippet of our interview with Joe Russo in this episode, but the full episode, the full interview is going to be part of our podcast feed, and I'll put that up later this week as well. All right. Joining me are my betters, my co-host, Bruce Perky, a.k.a. the loneliest whale watcher. <laughs> are you really the loneliest whale? By saying you're I the am. loneliest, Bruce, are, is that a, a stretch of... I cry Bruce? at 52 megahertz. Oh, all cry. the time okay, i'm so cry. sad you cry at 52 megahertz that is okay that is called it's a documentary called the loneliest whale and actually bruce perky is going solo for this one due to the screening link errors miscues of my other better eric holmes who is eric deadly and dreadful that is on our deepest dream youtube channel you can see all of that stuff and he does he did a rainy rainy crying face right now so you're missing out on the video part of this podcast so check us out on on that our youtube channel eric what is eric deadly and dreadful is that an illusion is that a reference to mr russo the person we just interviewed yes it is and if you listen to the full interview you will know exactly what Eric Deadly and Dreadful is referencing. It's referencing an anthology movie that's really good. And check it out. Dark, Deadly, and Dreadful. And Eric, you were the one who basically spearheaded this whole thing, this interview with Joe Russo. Can you just very quickly, just your inspiration behind getting Joe Russo on our the, our, our whole Find Your Film universe? What was your the drive for that? Um, I, I just, I, uh, the, the, well, in the po- couple podcasts when I reviewed All Pair Nightmare, it kind of all started on Twitter. And he just seemed like uh, someone, I, I, I liked his movies. We had like a little back and forth about hard kill. And uh, yeah, he just seemed like a, he seemed like a guy that would be down to, uh, you know, talk about some stuff. And he was, and <laughs> it was a great interview. Let's see, we got the, uh, we got the Penny Black, we got Anderson Cowan, and now we got uh, Joe Russo. I think we're three for three. Uh, three for three. Yeah. And Joe Russo, very, very good. I have one big complaint with Joe Russo. Huge complaint. Bruce, what's my complaint? I'm calling out Joe Russo right now. I am submarining this whole Joe Russo interview. What is the, our big complaint, Eric? Come on. What is what's the big complaint? That uh, he didn't love Hard Kill as much as you did. Okay. Everyone should love Hard Kill as okay. much as I did. Okay. That is just that is his error. By the way, Joe, Russo, Joe Russo's one of the screenwriters right behind Hard Kill stars Bruce Willis. No, the reason why I'm doing this is a little bit of an incomplete, inaccurate segue where here we are. Here is... Joe Russo talking about his favorite Walter Hill film. You, know, you, you had one cardinal sin during this interview. You mentioned the name Walter Hill. And whenever someone mentions Walter Hill, we got to really talk, talk about him just for very quickly. My question <laughs> to you is what a, what is your favorite Walter Hill film has to be one. And number two, what is the most underrated Walter Hill film in your opinion? And please include the, the caveat is you have to include the long riders in either one of you. <laughs> I I think you just answered another one of your own questions. Look, I I, look, I, I I mean, he's made so many great movies. I mean, I love 48 hours. I mean, that's, that's one that like always works for me, but I, you know, I still think, you know, and he was a producer and, and writer on this, but I still think alien is just like, it's, I mean, it's one of my favorite movies of all time, you know? So it's like, how can I not point to that? 
Um, and I know Walter's made so many great movies himself too. Uh, but, but like that, I mean, alien is top 10 for me. So uh, there you go. And we're back. Bruce Perky. My big caveat with Joe bleeping Russo <laughs> is he mentioned alien directed by Ridley Scott, but produced like he said, by Walter Hill written by Walter Hill, obviously in everything as his favorite Walter Hill film is, does that count? Does that count guys? Yep. Um, what? Yeah. It's my favorite Dan O'Bannon movie. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> okay. That was just, okay. That was just me going off. No, no. I, we, <laughs> great choice on alien, but come on guys. Favorite Walter Hill, Eric Holmes. Oh wait, let me just answer for you. Streets of fire. Right. Uh, yeah, probably. Well, although, Although Southern Comforts, I was gonna edging say, up there. Southern Comforts edging up there for sure. Southern Comfort is pretty damn good. I think Southern Comfort might be mine. Yeah, and uh, Crossroads is really good with uh, Daniel Larusso. Daniel Larusso, Ralph Macchio. <laughs> I've never seen Crossroads. You know, leave it up to Eric Holmes to pull out one of the most obscure Walter Hill films, and lastly, most underrated Walter Hill film for you guys. Do you have one? Oh, Eric, let me just fill you in right now. You were gonna, you're gonna say Crossroads, but I'm just gonna say, I'm just gonna put words in your mouth, and I'm just gonna say Brewster's Millions. Oh yeah, that is a good one. Actually, yeah. you know, that should be my choice. I think Brewster's Millions is a very underrated Walter Hill film. Bruce Barkey, your turn. Well, I would have said Streets of Fire, but I think in the last few years it's got it, it's resurged. That counts. That counts. So yeah, I would have said Streets of Fire like probably 20 years ago, but now I think it's. I mean, for me, I guess it's Streets of Fire. Let's just say Streets of Fire. Okay, I, I guess could, uh, uh, not. No. I don't know if it's underrated, but definitely underseen. The hard times with uh, Charles Bronson. You are a you are a Walter Hill that, aficionado. Here I am complaining about Joe Russo's pick of <laughs> Alien and bleeping Eric Holmes who put Joe Russo on the Find Your Film podcast. Great interview, by the way. You got to check it out. It's Eric Holmes who has the the, the, the knowledge because I haven't seen Hard Times, and that is my fault. That is, I believe, James Coburn starring in that 1975 film. I hear that's a great film. Okay, so you you believe Hard Times is your choice for underrated Walter Hill movie? Yeah, that definitely underseen. But I, uh, you, I mean, you you brought up Brewster's Millions, and I, I was like. Oh shit! That was Walter Hill, wasn't it? <laughs> he's an awesome guy. We love we love Walter Hill. We love Joe Russo. We also love Anderson Cowan and Bruce Porky, along with our Joe Russo interview, which we're going to put up later this week. Later this weekend, can you tell our listeners what else we can expect regarding Anderson well, Cowan? Yes, what? we have Anderson Cowan from well, from Cinematics, of course, and also from the Film Vault, and also from. The After Disaster. Director of um, Groupers. <laughs> director of Groupers and, and awesome person all around. But he, um, he joins us and schools us on Kubrick, especially Lolita and Spartacus. And it's a lot of fun. You can hear him not only giving us lots of great knowledge, but also getting frustrated in his garage as his microphone goes on and off. But it was, it was, a, great, it was a great time. And it's a good listen. That was a very, again, that was another, you know, I'm going to call, I'm going to call uh, Eric Holmes the ringmaster because he's, he's the one who's just engineering all these meetups with people because obviously Bruce and I are absolute hermits and antisocial. I mean, Bruce is a freaking loneliest whale out there. So, and I'm, and I'm just a sociopath. <laughs> that's, like, that's, a, <laughs> that's beautiful. That's sublime whale music. Very good. That is, uh, if that does not make you want to see the loneliest whale, folks, then you're you're you've come to the wrong place. So that we're going to be doing Spartacus the Leader with Anderson Cowan this weekend, Joe Russo podcast later this week. But now, stay in the moment, in the present. Eric Holmes, do we have some really good movies this week? What do you think? Has it been a great week of featured films for us? 
Yes, I, w- I would say so. In fact, uh, one of the one of the movies I'm covering this week probably gonna make my top ten in, or top five of the year. So, top five well, of the year. A little really? tease on that. And it's not Avengers Endgame from last year. No, no, no. <laughs> no <laughs> yeah. Okay. No, that was a joke because uh, the MCU is not you know co- different horses for courses, different yeah. horses. What, however you say it, different strokes for folks or folks for different strokes. Bottom line is he's not an MCU guy. I'm an MCU homer. I think Bruce, I, I'm going to say Bruce is just right down the middle. You're ambivalent about the MCU. You watch it, whatever, right? Am I correct? Were you just talking about the bad Russos? Is that what you're just talking <laughs> okay, about? Okay. First of all, I love Cherry. And you know how much I love Cherry? <laughs> I'm not, let's not get going on how much I love Cherry and Tom Holland. And I love that film. And you know what? Eventually I'm going to have to watch, you know, because I'm going to blame you, Bruce Perky, because, because of your review of The Devil all the time, I still haven't seen it. So last night I was watching all of the Tom Holland best of clips on on the devil all the time i really need to see that movie eric holmes devil all the time great movie i don't think i saw that one what okay the the that, that's on netflix right or yeah, bruce, porky, bruce porky went against swam upstream so i'm against the currents and he gave it a very middling review he thought it was, there was a little if i recall bruce I, I, you could he a little bit of fakery in that he didn't feel authentic to him and and am I correct on this a little bit on this, Bruce, regarding the devil all the time, your your assessment of it? Yeah, I just thought it was too, it was so over the top as far as like, well, you, you watch it, you'll see what you think. I, I mean, it's entertaining enough. It's long, though. It's two and a half hours, I think. So and it should beware. have been 90 minutes. Is it one of those it should have been 90 minutes, but it's two and a half hours kind of movies? It just packed everything but the kitchen sink into a movie that didn't need it. But the yeah. acting is good. Well, hmm. Some of the acting is good. Okay, so you know what? Maybe down Bruce, the road. Bruce is kind of turning me on. Every time Bruce hates something, I'm like, oh, that's what shit, I do. I gotta watch that's it. my magic power. That's magic my secret power. power. This sucks so bad. You really want to see it, don't you? Yes, I Eric do. I totally maybe, down the, maybe down the road, we'll do a devil all the time movie rewind. You and I will coordinate it with that, you know, down the road. But now, Devil All the Time is currently obviously streaming on Netflix. Speaking of Netflix, thank you to the people, the good people over at Netflix. They supplied me, Bruce, and Eric with an early screening link of Fear Street 2, 1978. That is going to be our big review this week. Bruce is also going solo again with The Loneliest Whale. And you know know what? I'm, I'm the master of telling really stupid puns. There's a great jazz tune called A Night in Tunisia, which I love. Well, and I bet you people who live in Tunisia and Tunisians, people who live in that area, they hate hearing this joke. Well, we're going to spend a night in Tunisia with this really <laughs> special film and Bruce Perky. Yes, I'm glad. He just, I, I wanted Bruce to have that exasperated, Greg, you're an idiot look. And he, he just gave it to me, justifiably so, because we are definitely spending a night in Tunisia with this Tunisian film called Dakra, D-A-C-H-R-A. I am so excited to hear what Bruce and Eric have to say about this movie. Bruce, your call. What do you think? Do you think I'm going to love this movie, Dakra? Dakra, what do you think? Mm, I think it'll be middle of the road on it. You think I'm going to be middle of the road? Very interesting, Bruce, what you're going to think. What do you think, Eric? Do you think uh, I'm going to love it? You think I'm going to love Dakra? Am I going to give, give Dakra the, the goods or, or, or am I going to just really not like it whatsoever? The fact that you're asking me means you're really gonna like it. Oh, what is, you, what is you're not the guy. You're not. You're not the guy that sets up a takedown. Oh, okay. too nice for that. Okay, here we go. Eric Holmes playing Matt Damon in Rounders. Thank you very much. He he spotted my tell. You did spot my tell. Okay, so there's gonna be a, a different. You know what? I'm, there's gonna be another movie that is very very big, just as much as our featured, which Bruce and Eric will be covering for this episode. It is called My Heart can't beat unless you tell it to 
Okay, it's a very long title, but I I have not seen this movie. I'm excited to hear what Eric and Bruce have to say about this movie, how how high Eric loves this, or maybe maybe Bruce loves this as much uh, as Eric does as well. And then we're gonna close out the show with a what's in the box segment, which I guess we're gonna keep that a surprise. Maybe we'll keep the what's in the box segment, which Bruce coordinates a surprise regarding the movie he's gonna cover. But he's gonna have a very oh you don't want to cut you want you want to how could it be a surprise? They listened to our last episode. They will right. know. But what if they didn't? You know, then then shame on them. Here's the thing. Here's the thing, listeners. If you didn't know, I'm a graduate of UCLA, and I graduated with honors in and Shamanad College Preparatory, and I've been an esteemed critic for 30 years. But guess what? I'm also a huge idiot, and Bruce is not. Bruce is not an idiot. That's right. We are covering claws. Yeah. <laughs> Bruce has this thing called L-O-G-I-C. It's called logic. Yes, for <laughs> what's in the box, Bruce is covering claws. He's got claws, yeah. Eric Holmes says a claws. And then also, Bruce will recommend this documentary, which, by the way, I could have gotten both Eric and I this screening link, but I was too lazy. Bruce, did you have to pay for this on your own? Or did it stream? What did you, did you, did you uh, It's streaming on Hulu. Okay, it's Summer of Soul. Summer of Soul. So we're going to be covering a lot of movies. There's a, that, you know, a, a, for this episode, Let's start off right now. Is there anything you guys want to say before we start off with our our featured interviews, featured reviews? Anything right off the top? You I good? love you guys. I want to give you big love, hugs. Love you guys That's too. Love, it. love you listeners. Okay, love you listeners as well. Now, Fear Street 1, I believe it's 1994. We reviewed it last week. I remember really loving it. You, we all really loved it. Yes, we all loved it. Now, Eric, you were saying that we can spoil last week's the Fear Street Part 1 leading into Fear Street Part two. My first thing to you, Eric, is what did you want to spoil from last week going into our review of Fear Street 2, 1978? By the way, this one, obviously, it's 1978. It's set in a sleep, kind of a sleepaway kind of camp. And it has the members of the Shady Sides, the Sunny Valers. Of course, the Sunny Valers are the rich kids. The Shady Siders are from the, the, the poor, middle class, blue collar side of the streets. They are always butting heads. They're always at loggerheads. And it comes to, to a head in this summer camp. And that is the basic premise of this Lee Je- Jenny um, directed sequel. And it's basically, and, and Jenny actually expressed that this movie is inspired by the movie Friday the 13th. Now, what kind of spoilers did you want to lead in from last week to Fear Street 2? Well, as you may know, my uh, memory is not very good because I got donkey brains and I cannot remember anything that I wanted to spoil. But uh, I think especially talking with uh, this new one, you kind of have to go into spoilers to talk about it because it it takes it, you know, continues the story of what happened and people die in the last one. Uh, they had the... Uh, it, I, I guess because we talked about like how the uh, characters like that this is a thing where like at least for me and I think you guys as well like I kind of fell in love with the characters so to see them some of them die uh, it kind of it, it was weird uh, the the girl that gets put in the uh, bread slicer mm-hmm. now normally normally in a movie like this I'd be like whoa sweet kill but I really liked her character. And so I, I didn't get that. I didn't get that kind of uh, visceral joy in watching like a splatter movie. Like, ah, they killed the, they killed the kid that I don't care about. Uh, when they put her in the bread maker, I'm like, Oh, she's going to get out. She's going to get out. And then her head goes right. through. I'm like, Oh, son of a bitch. And I, I actually like it, it killed me. That was a gutsy play. That was a very gutsy yeah, play that they did. Very. And obviously it's probably based on the R.L. Stein series of books. I don't know how, how much they diverge from that. Bruce, anything that you wanted to lead from Fear Street 1 going to Fear Street 2, spoiler-wise, regarding building the whole uh, the universe of Shady Side and 
the, I forgot the name of the witch. Uh, I, what's the name of the witch? But anyways, fear, fear, right? fear. Yeah, F-I-E-R. fear street. Fear oh, street. Yeah, 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 yeah. See, yeah. fear. Right. All right, there you go. Uh, uh, yeah. Um, I, the only thing is that really it, it sets it up the idea that the one um, girl from the first one I forgot her name is now kind of she died and was brought back and that's supposed to save her from the curse, but she's kind of in like a zombified state or something. So that is, that's kind of our ongoing story. So they of course reach out to the one person who survived from 1978. And that leads. That's Seabrook played by Jillian Jacobs. Right. And that leads to this whole story. So, so I guess that's the one thing you have to kind of know that's, that's kind of the setup, the premise. So the reason we kind of care other than just being a story itself, the reason we kind of care about what happens in 1978 is to inform the rest of the story going forward. So the name of the witch is Sarah fear F I E R. And again, like Bruce and Eric was saying, that is the reason why they tip the, the, the tip the hat to fear street, the moniker fear street, again, based on the RL Stein book, Sarah fear. Here's a couple of things. We're not going to get into spoilers regarding fear street too. We're just going to give our reactions. I will tell you a couple of things to watch for, for fear street Two, 1978 unspoiler wise, you will get to, understand a little bit more actually a lot more about the witch seraphir where she comes from her motivations you will see a little bit more about the world i really want to throw it to one of you guys to and i i hate that i hate this. this is a very superficial question about which is a better film one of the big reveals for me for fear street 2 on spoiler version is the characters in fear street 2 part 2 are a lot more for the most part unlikable for about 40 minutes of the movie. That's another, we're, we're talking about Eric, who the person killed in what was a bread slicer thing? That was gutsy. The big gutsy part of Fear Street 2 is they give us characters we don't want to actually follow. Thing is, Cindy Berman, played by Emily Rudd, is so unlikable and so pitch perfect, just grating. And then the other people, there's Ryan Simpkins, who plays Cindy Berman's colleague, Alice. There's a, a lot of unlikable people for the first 40 minutes. And then what I'm, my only advice is just wait for the slow build, wait for it to build. Then when it gets into the second half of the movie, it just turns it up a notch in so many different ways that I ended up being so crazy in love with Fear Street to 1978 that I really actually ended up loving this more than Fear Street part one. And I'm wondering, first of all, what you guys think about that. Eric, let's start off with you. Um, well, the, the first one is, uh, I, I really like that one, obviously, minus the, uh, the, the uh, music dro- or the needle drops. Right. And there's, there's definitely a couple, not as many in this one, but uh, they still kind of go nuts with those a lot of times. But I, I think the first one was more standalone. Only because I didn't quite understand where the I like I understood what the the self-contained story was of uh, ninety four. I, I forget all mm-hmm. the years already, except for the new one coming out next week, six six six. I'll remember that all the time. <laughs> so I, I think the first one works more as a self-contained story because I didn't know where they're going. And now with this next one, okay, I think I can see where it's going, and I think I know where they're going to go with it on the uh, Fear Street sixteen sixty six. And so I got a, a better idea of the broader story they're telling, but this one's, this one's just as good. And also to your point, the characters are unlikable. It almost does the exact opposite of what the, what the first one did. 
because the first one I was just falling more and more in love with them. And then so when uh, they would get hurt, I'd be sad. But this one, they're unlikable, but they're I, I kind of uh, still as the movie went along, I understood their motivations more. So then again, when they get hurt, like I'm like, oh, no, no. <laughs> And the, 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 this is the exact same thing like the first one that they it carried from that is uh the character work is just really good because like they're unlikable but they're unlikable in a way that makes sense at least to me bruce your thoughts fear street 2 i really liked fear street 2 a lot as well and i guess i'll look at it this way the wow. first one i i feel like the first one was the first one was the mystery of what's happening, right? And the basic idea was you have this group of outsiders who are kind of misunderstood, who band together to figure out what's going on. And then kind of by the end of the movie, you kind of know what's going on. That's kind of the, the thrust of that movie. Whereas this movie is a little different where like you all talk about the characters aren't as likable. What I think this movie does that's really interesting is two things. First of all, they say it's like Friday the 13th. I think it's like Friday the 13th partly but it's art, partly kind of like the Goonies because this one has a whole aspect of following a map and trying to discover secrets. And, and I love that kind of stuff. And that is, is woven into a slasher type of scenario in a really interesting way. And I think that's when the movie also gets really interesting. Plus, I would also suggest that when you get to the characters in here, the few that you end up really connecting to, I say to me, there's at least three characters that I really ended up connecting to in this one, maybe four, three for sure. Uh, the two main sisters and their friend, kind of not their friend at the beginning, but she ends up being their friend. And I think the thing about this that works, but works slower is that this goes deeper into the dark past of these characters. Like they all have a level of abuse or really really darkness in them. And I think when that finally comes to the surface, you care about them. And in some ways you might even care about them more by the end of this movie. Um, plus it's just fun. The both movies are fun and this is smart that it makes it fun in a slightly different way. It's a little more of a straightforward slasher, but it's also got this whole Goonies, like weird, mysterious, I'm just going to say world. I'm not going to say what it is exactly, but there's a lot of that kind of stuff. So if you like maps and solving things and figuring out, you know, symbols and stuff, then this has a whole added element to it. I would say this movie also has a lot of heart. It, yes, it does. <laughs> it has a really a big heart. heart. I say it has a big heart. Big, and big I got to say, last thing, there's a sequence, and I'm not going to say what happens. There's a sequence involving an outhouse and a murder near an outhouse, or not an outhouse, but a toilet that is really great. <laughs> I really love that sequence. It's pretty spectacular. What about the sneaky social themes that's interwoven mm -hmm. in this? The fact that without giving too much away, uh, maybe I'm wrong in this. With horror movies, you're expected with the kills, there is sort of a physical release from the viewer where you, you want to see the kill, how sophisticated or, or how intricate it is. And on top of that, to make the kill even better, maybe they'll have the kill of a person you was maybe a bully or a person you didn't like and you go okay well i can i can see that murder i can see that blood splattered I'll, i'm gonna i'm gonna have that release and the fact that th there are people that you don't like and people you love there is no there is no a bias towards this like the people who you might want to get it might not get it you see what i'm saying and it mm -hmm. really it really plays on the whole Shady side, Sunnyvale situation on one side being cursed and one side being the golden boys and girls. Did you like that part, that little hidden element in, in this whole thing as well? 
Yeah. And all um another thing in I, I guess we can't really talk talk about it, but the way they tie the first movie into this one, there's there's even characters that um you saw in the first one that you may have thought one way or another about. And now with this one, you know more about their history. And so like even the characters that I don't like in this one, I'm like, I'm like not going to pass judgment because I have no clue what's coming in the next one. And I might feel like a just complete dickhead if I'm like, you know what? Fuck that character. And then watch the next one and go, oh, I'm the asshole. Never mind. <laughs> Again, all solid performances all around. I was expecting maybe a little bit of a come down, a sophomore slump. There's not, it's really not a sophomore slump. It's a trilogy. But the second one, who knows? So, unless it's a Godfather part two, sometimes the second one's not really that great. And for me, I really like this more actually Bruce you like this a little bit more than the first one as well I think I like them differently equally I like them both for a little different reasons which is about the best you can expect from this honestly so yeah Yeah. I I like them both pretty much the same so I guess solid recommendation for all of us for part two yep okay solid recommendations and are we excited for week three 1666 is that gonna be very much yes the I would say the cliffhanger on this is really well done and really good yeah I think the only complaint I have with this is I really wanted to see 1666 immediately after watching <laughs> 1978. It's that good of a trilogy. I, I just really hope they bring it home with this trilogy. I am huge. I, by the way, I I'm, I'm not huge. I said I, I'm hugely into this this trilogy. The reason why I just stopped into this is because there's a – is that the Green Knight ro- role-playing game that you got in the back? Is that – what is that? Is that oh, – okay. Yes, it is. Okay, the Green Knight. Yeah, you're gonna be you're gonna be doing it. You're gonna be playing that game after this uh, re- the podcast, right? Is it a good game? Have you tried it yet? Uh no. It, it'll be the first time playing. It'll be uh, me, William Lindis, Pita Beta, and a couple friends of mine and Will's are gonna get together and do a live playthrough, and we'll probably be putting that up shortly before the Green Knight comes out. Okay. Uh, we're doing that right after we record here, so we'll see how that goes. Okay. Oh, yeah. I'm gonna. I, I'm nervous. I got. I got to hurry up. We got to make sure that the green knight is on right now. But <laughs> hopefully, you guys have a good a good time playing with that role game. Are you excited about the movie, The Green Knight, Bruce? Is that the one? Yes, 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 for sure. Okay. So, so I do I get fired if I don't get a screening links for that movie? Do I get fired? Yes. We will not pay you anymore. <laughs> you will not pay me. You will not pay me zero dollars. How dare you, Bruce? <laughs> Speaking yeah, of which, I don't know if this was Bruce's idea, my idea, or Eric's, Eric Holmes' idea. The acclaimed Tunisian horror film, Dakra, haunts U.S. cinemas this Friday. I'm reading off the emails that I never opened, but this is an email that I opened. I think either Bruce or Eric assigned me to actually get the screening link. It opens in select theaters. Oh, cinemas this Friday. Again, I could just, I just, I'm an idiot. Dakra, I don't know how to, uh, it's, it centers on three journalism students in Tunisia. They're tasked with doing an, an expose or a, a report, like like a final paper, and they have to make sure that this report isn't a based on the revolution in Tunisia or anything like that. Something fresh and new. One of the journalists he has a contact at a at asylum, and he says that there is a woman named Mongia M O N G G I A Mongia. Mongia is a woman at the bottom of the this asylum. S- supposedly, she was found i believe on on a road or something like that and her throat was slashed and she was bleeding profusely and she came to the asylum and what happened was monji has been staying in the asylum for years and she's just a complete well she's a complete mess she can't really she's very scary let's just say she's very scary and she has a backstory and what happens is these journalists they go and try to visit monji and 
really stuff happens and they it eventually leads them to a mountainous village filled with goats women who don't talk too much and a very obsequious real just 50 something guy who's just really overly friendly when someone's overly friendly start wondering what's going on so these three journalists that go to this mountainous village and they try to figure out what what happened what was monji's relationship to this village what the heck is going on here and by the way this part of this movie is based on a true story regarding you know kidnapping and torture of children in northern africa that's a that's a little bit of dakra but it goes into other definitely different details it's a very interesting movie to say the least before i'm going to hold my ultimate review of this movie i want to hear what bruce says Bruce thinks of Dakwa first. I think overall, this is a pretty good horror movie. Um, I would say that it gets better as it goes, which is good because it's always worse when a movie does the opposite. It starts really good and gets worse. So this one starts out, I, it was kind of middle, middle of the road for me. Like they, they meet and they get together and they go to the sanitarium and this crazy possessed lady or whatever she's supposed to be. And I was worried that it was going to be a continue visits to her and deal with possession and kind of become a sort of pseudo exorcist kind of story. But then when they go out to the, the village out in the mountains, this kind of creepy village in the mountains, um, I was, I was on board. Now it takes a while to get there. I think it could maybe get there quicker. Um, And I would say that there is a lot up to that point. It's kind of like, three friends bickering a lot (laughs) and that wasn't the best thing in the world that was kind of like okay it's all right but it's not the best but i am a sucker for those we go into a town and something weird's going on here and everyone's looking at you and they're peeking out their doors and something's going on here and it's kind of one of those sort of things when it gets to that town and i gotta say the moment where i was fully on board was they get taken into the town (laughs) i'm not gonna give spoilers away but they're all sitting around like a fire or something and there's like like meat hanging to dry or smoke or something. And one of the main characters says, you guys sure do like meat here. <laughs> I laughed. I laughed out loud, but I also was like, this is, this is pretty great. And I got to say the last 30 minutes got more horrifying than I expected it to get. And I was, I was appreciative of that. So I would say overall, I would say this is good. It's not great, but it's good. So I would say it's a, uh, it was, it's a, it's a recommend. For oh, me. Very good. A good recommend. Yeah. Bruce Perky. Want to actually, before I get to you, Eric, want to mention out of the three, the main character out of the three is Yasmin. Yasmin yeah. Played by Yasmin Dimasi. And she's, she's very, good. Very, she's very, very good in this movie. And yes, if you don't like to see three people arguing, three journals <laughs> arguing, this, it's a lot, I, don't, I don't know about if they have some kind of Guinness Book of World Records <laughs> cinema style, but I've never seen people argue for this long. Uh, not even <laughs> what? Not or I'm thinking Kramer versus Kramer, Kramer ordinary people. Yeah, I don't know what. No, this is wall to wall arguments. So that might you might either love it or absolutely dislike it. I ended up loving that. So I'm gonna get to my thing right now, Eric. I you know I'm, I'm gonna. I don't know what your tell is. You 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 told my tell. You find I I'm having a feeling, Eric, that you ended up really digging this movie. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Oh, is that uh, my cue to start talking about it? Yeah, yes. that's your cue. All right. So uh, the beginning, I really love the beginning of this. Um, it kind of reminded me of the uh, Blair Witch Project, the movie, like the the actual movie, like the non uh, the non found footage version of Blair Witch. It's like, oh, okay, yeah, they're in the film class and they got to do the thing. And I liked how I liked um, how they showed kind of the uh, film students uh, 
you know, figuring out how they're going to do the interview, figuring out what they're going to do, so on and so forth. Like, I really enjoyed that kind of journey, you know, filmmaking journey of it. And then the middle happened. And then I kind of started, I started losing steam. And then that, to Bruce's point, that last 30 minutes wrote me the fuck back in. I didn't want to go back in. I did not want to, but it was like, you're coming with us. And then pulled, oh, geez, that, that last, the, the end of this movie is just horrifying. There, there's a there's a uh, part with death rows that I've never seen anything like it, it, it's real. It's not. Real. Yeah, it, it's uh, I, I, I don't know what to say about it without without ruining. But there's yeah. there's another thing that happens at the very end after that. And like so that that whole last like half hour was just like one fucking bullshit thing after another. And I was just like <laughs> I was glued. I was glued to the screen like, oh, fuck, what's going to happen next? What did you think? I mean, there's a twist that doesn't really change the story per se. Like you can enjoy the story without the twist sure. at all. But there's a little twist there that I thought I really appreciated that twist too. What did you think of that? Um, that actually the twist kind of threw me off a little bit. Uh, really? I'd have to I'd have to watch it again because I sus I suspect the the movie seems smart enough that I I probably just missed it. But it almost it almost feels like the how tension twist of the end of that. Mm-hmm. Where uh, not not sim you know not same storyline obviously for anyone listening but uh, where the twists at the end of how tension was like ah does that really work but I think I think it does because the, the movie's smart enough I think I just missed something but well and when, would you agree t- though even if you didn't like the twist that it doesn't it doesn't hurt the story really though no and it's not even that I didn't like it I didn't it it didn't I I just feel like I missed something. So when when the when the thing happened, I was like, "Oh, this is happening!" And then now, all of a sudden, I want to go back and and not like watch it. Like, wow, that changes everything. I'm going to watch it. It's going to be a complete different movie. It was like, I don't think that works. Let me go back and make sure. Most triggering part of this movie for me is I am transitioning from becoming from being a vegetarian to occasionally eating meat, fish. There is a fish, chicken. I've been eating chicken. I've been, I'm gonna, I was thinking of eating some fish this weekend. So I've been a vegetarian for about four years now. Slowly, but, but surely, you know, I still eat hamburgers now and again, uh, in and out. There is a dinner sequence regarding what Eric was talking about meat. There is something with the way the <laughs> audio works, the way that bones are splitting. It is so triggering that I almost felt like throwing up at the dinner sequence. This, of course, there, there are, a lot more violent scenes, but that meal sequence, folks, if you are a vegetarian and you're thinking about meat, going back to meat, this might set you off on the wrong path or maybe the right path going back to just eating vegetables and tofu and everything steamed for the rest of your life. That, that actually triggered me in a different way because I take I take pride in the meat that I cook and I'm watching that going, should not be serving gray meat. You guys are terrible cooks. Let me get in there and help you out with that a little bit. <laughs> okay, so my, my take on Dakra is it's 114 minutes long. There is a girl in a red hoodie who basically stepped out of the ending from Don't Look Now. Okay. And I loved every single minute of it. I was so mesmerized from every single minute. Eric, you were mentioning about the middle sort of lost you in a second. I was, I don't know. There's something about this movie. It is so weird. And actually Eric was right when he was actually in our messages, he was talking about, it's a creepy movie. I felt creeped up by this movie the, the whole time. The argument stuff, I, I saw it's annoying, but I ended up, it ended up being 
it ended up being for me comic relief because you need some a little bit of a respite from all of the horror or the about to be really horrific moments that are the impending doom that's that's coming forth there's also some really cool visual foreshadowing moments which is way too obvious for its own good but i still think it you know it's it's cool and visually i think this movie is really beautifully shot for its budget which i read in daily variety if this is correct this movie I think it said the movie cost $80,000 to make. And if this movie at $80,000, Docker at $80,000, or you know, even Docker at several hundred thousand dollars, I thought this movie with its atmosphere, the, the world building of, the, of what you find out who these people are, just really eerie, atmospheric, and ultimately just as Eric and Bruce has been saying, it's really horrific. I have, for me, high recommendation for Docker. It's, I've never, I don't think I've seen a movie a Tunisian film before, but I'm, I want to actually watch this director. I, let me look at the, the director's name, but he's actually has a t- uh, TV series called, his name is Abdel Hamid Bochnak. Bochnak. He, he actually created a TV series called the new bot or something like that. I, I basically, I want to see whatever this director does. So huge, strong, strong recommendation for me. I was surprised at how much I fell in love with Dr. Eric Holmes. I also forgot uh, to mention they they do weird um, close ups in this like yes kind of yeah. like weird it, if you're looking it, it, it's like weird angles in the close ups yeah and that, for those. that well I, for that, I had yeah but the close ups in this one look specific to this movie like I I <laughs> it, it it's hard to explain unless you just watch it but I I the close ups kind of threw me off a little bit but in a good way. I was like, I don't know quite what they're doing there, but I, I think I like this. Um, maybe, maybe it's just a, cause it's not, it's not like a, like a centered frame close up. It's kind of off. It's well, like it's the weird. Top. They did a lot of cropping where like, so for example, if you have everything balanced with the person on one side of the frame, yes. But instead of looking that. towards the open side of the frame, they look towards the other side of the frame. Yeah. So like all the, all the spaces behind their head, there's a, I don't know if it was just kind of to set an unbalanced kind of to unbalance you and un, maybe just kind of put you off kilter a little bit. I'm guessing something like that. But yeah. I think what we all agree about, we all have varying degrees of liking. We all like it. I think yeah. we all agree that if nothing else, the final third is really solid. Yeah. Would we all say, yeah. It's just I, and, hor- and horrific for- to even think about it. I, I'm just thinking about the scenes right now. And <clears> it's just, it's hard. To, it's hard to shake. It's hard to shake these scenes. I, I would say the uh, the the last third, as great as that was, that would be the thing where I would say this is a not recommend, just because I think I think I can imagine a few people that I know that would get to that in part and be like, why the fuck did you make me watch this? Like I I could, the, there's one part in particular that I can't I don't want to say, but uh, I, I I could see some people getting very angry. I um I almost want to do a trigger warning, but uh and and it's not to not recommend like this movie sucks, don't recommend. I'm saying you're you're gonna be in for some stuff at the end. I will just leave it. This is a movie, this is a movie that feels like it's gonna be at a certain level of kind of spooky ooky, and it goes a lot more disturbing than you think it would go. And I think that's what we're all getting at is that this is gen just as genuinely for its for its level it's much more disturbing than you're expecting it to get at the end. And I think that's what kind of Eric's getting at. So if, if you get triggered by certain things, especially deaths of certain people, uh, <laughs> then uh, it will not, it will not be good for you. There so. is a three, there is a camera angle. 
I don't want to say how the camera goes, but it is a, you guys know there is a, towards the end, there is a disorienting camera angle shot that let's just say it's sort of circular or something. It goes, you know where it goes. Yeah. It just, that's a creep. That was an awesome, A, an awesome money shot. And B, it just was terrifying to to experience. And And I think that's to Eric's point, that's, that verges on not recommending it to people who do don't want to be absolutely terrified, but that's in the not not recommend. That's maybe even recommending it to to even more people who want who want that kind of just adrenaline adrenaline pump with their yeah. With their I, I, well, we'll just say it gets extremely violent by then, and if that's not something you're into, stay far away from this one because uh, it, it it goes for it, and it gets it's. Like it, it's not like the like with the the Fear Street movies. Those are this they're violent, but they're fun violent. Psycho Goreman is violent, but it's like fun violent. This is like like just disturbing violent. Like I, I oh God, I wish I didn't see that. <laughs> Folks, couple more, a couple more things of Dakra. If you ever go to a mountainous village with goats and people who don't talk to you, leave immediately. Number one, leave <laughs> leave the place, leave the premises immediately. Number two. If one of the non-talking villagers actually whispers to you and and tells you in a very soft voice, soft yet urgent voice, to run, take that person's <laughs> advice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Fair enough. Fair enough. There's, there's a there's a little girl eating a head off of a bird. Walk just away. let her go. Let her go. <laughs> Maybe just don't chase her down. <laughs> You know, some birds can't fly anymore. There's other birds. There's a, another day for another bird. Okay, so there's a lot of things you can learn from Dakra. Strong recommendation for me. Solid recommendation from Bruce and, and Eric. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's it. Dakra opening in U.S. cinemas this Friday. Tunisian film. Amazing, amazing stuff. Next up. Oh, this is so sad. <laughs> the so loneliest sad. whale. Yeah, one for my baby, two for the road. Actually, there's zero for my baby and there's zero for the road for The Loneliest Whale, Bruce Perky. It's a documentary that opens this Friday. It's, I think it's about a whale with a very lonely signal. And what, what do you said? 52, whatever, megahertz. Right. Eric and Eric and I had some screening issues on it. Bruce, what do you think of this movie? Uh, I have it directed by Joshua Zeman, I think it says. Um, this is a pretty solid documentary. I would say... If you don't know a lot or you're very interested in whales, even better. If you're kind of in the middle of the road, it has a fair amount to offer, but you might find it a little thin for you if that's not kind of your cup of tea. So I would say that's kind of my caveat because I do caveats. Um, (laughs) So the basic concept is this. For, I don't know, 30 years or so, they've been identifying the single whale song that is different than all the other whale songs. And for the longest time, they weren't sure if it was uh, really a whale or maybe it was some other kind of sound, like a like a boat sound or you know an engine sound or something. But uh, several of these marine biologists had identified that this 52 megahertz whale sound was a single whale, and it wasn't a whale um, species that they knew. So they were trying to figure out how what this whale is and, and what it was, and it kind of fell off. Well, you know figuratively fell off the radar and this filmmaker had been fascinated by it and like a lot of other people it had kind of become this internet thing like a lot of people were obsessed with this and they called it the loneliest whale and the song the idea that whales will you know send out their songs and they'll get answered and this whale obviously could never get answered and the idea also that whale songs can go hundreds hundreds and hundreds of miles 
underwater. So the fact that there's this whale kind of just roaming out there and, you know, just all by itself. And what is this whale? So it's kind of a mystery. It's also, you know, people putting a lot of story on top of it. So that's kind of the basis of this. And the filmmaker is like, what if I could try to find this whale? So, and that's the basic concept of the story. So he goes out and, you know, rounds up all these eminent, you know, marine biologists and, and different people and, and tech, you know, technical stuff to try to be able to, you know, triangulate and figure out what this whale is. And that's kind of the meat of the story. Can they find this whale? So that's kind of your driving force of this movie. And, and if that sounds interesting to you, I think you will find this to be interesting. Now, that being said, I feel like they didn't have, they only had so many days to do it, to actually search for the whale. They only had so much funding. So I feel like they probably didn't have enough footage to really feel like this almost 90 minute movie. So you get a lot of other information about whales themselves. So I feel in that sense, it's a little thin, but if you don't know a ton about whales, you might love that. All that being said, it's interesting. It's, it's got a lot of great hard science, which I'm a fan of. I'll go into all the technical stuff and all the, the megahertz and all the different waves. And there's a lot of nerdy shit in this movie. So for me, that stuff was fun. I would say it's a, um, it's a good documentary. It's not a transcendent documentary and it doesn't have, I guess it doesn't have that great, great catharsis that you want for the end of a movie like this, but that's also part of a true documentary. They aren't faking it. They'll tell you the end of the movie and it is what it is. I'm not going to tell you obviously, because if you want to see it, then you can find that out. Okay. So that is the loneliest whale, the search for 52. Bruce gives it basically a pretty much a slight recommend on this one, right? Slight? Yeah, I'd say slight. I say it could go to the next level, but for what it is, it's, it's pretty good. Yeah. Okay, it's in theaters July 9th, and it, it reaches digital July 16th. Again, so apologies to Bruce Porky on behalf of Eric Holmes and myself. We tried actually watching it, but we had screener link issues with The Loneliest Whale, and that is based on our ineptitude. Ineptitude, uh, Eric Holmes, what do you think? Are, we were inept at, at playing our screening links. Uh we were, we were, didn't look at the cutoff date close enough. We'll just say that. We're playing fast and loose with our cutoff date. So apologies to all those folks behind the loneliest whale. Thank goodness we have the real loneliest whale to actually pick up all the tough work for us. And that is Bruce Perky. He is our claw. He's, he's, oh, he's crying. He's crying, folks. <laughs> and he's going to be back to talk about Klaus later on in the episode. No, no, actually not. He's actually going to be back with Eric Holmes because Eric Holmes has this movie that he's actually wanted me and Bruce to see. He was actually clamoring for this movie for us to watch. And it is, what is this movie called? It is called My Heart Can't Beat Unless You Tell It To. Here's the thing, Eric Holmes. I'm going to give you the uh, rough and tumble of it. I got us a screening link, but Eric Holmes actually ended up paying for it because he really wanted to see it immediately. Bruce ended up watching the screening link. One of the reasons I didn't watch the screening link was I saw the trailer. I'm sorry, Eric Holmes. And it seemed really moody and somber. And you know, me being literally a moody and somber, I'm not the loneliest. Well, I'm more, more like the loneliest hermit crab. I just it was not in the mood for this somber just dark thing because I've been watching Dakra. I couldn't, I couldn't fit it in. Should I regret my decision, Eric Holmes? Um, well, th this movie—if you got done finishing Dakra and you need something to bring you down, this movie ain't it. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's uh, directed by Jonathan Quartas, starring Patrick Fugit, uh, Ingrid, Sophie. Damn it, I don't have the names. Shram, 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 and. Owen Campbell, Owen Campbell. 
So we got uh, Dwight and Jesse. I believe they're brother and sister, and they're just out, you know, out and about doing their normal thing. Um, Dwight um, Dwight meets some guy and uh, decides he's going to give him a ride, takes him out somewhere and uh, stops the car, and the guy gets out of the house, and then Dwight pops him over the head with a baseball bat and throws him in the trunk. Then he goes home, and his, uh, his, uh, his sister Jesse is there. She helps him pull the body out of the trunk and bring him inside. What the hell are you doing? Okay, we're just keep it down. And then take the body and put it on the table. And they move it around on the table a little bit. And then they cut the cut the you know cut the neck, start draining the blood into a bucket. And then uh the the guy the guy hit with a baseball bat, he's good and dead now. And they got a bucket full of blood, a pail, metal pail full of blood. And uh, they put a put the pail, the blood into a little uh, little bowl, little ceramic bowl. And they take the ceramic bowl of blood, bring it into a room. And there's this little emaciated kid. Uh, this emaciated kid, well, his name his name's Thomas. And I believe he's the youngest brother. And he's he's doesn't look like he's doing very well. And then uh, the sister goes gives Thomas like puts a bowl of blood up to his mouth and starts. You know, pouring it in there, and he's drinking the blood. <coughs> Thank you. And he starts drinking the blood, and drinking the blood, and that is the basic premise of the movie: a brother and a sister going out murdering people to get blood for their dying brother, who's a vampire. And if he doesn't get blood, he can't. He can't uh, basically, uh, basically can't fend for himself. Um, he can't. He's. Uh, it's not like the vampires just slink through the night. You know, blah. I'm going to kill you. This is uh, the, the vampirism in this almost feels like uh, almost like he's dying of cancer or something. It, it's it's really taking over his body, and so the the his brother and sister have to go out and kill people uh, to keep him alive. They don't like doing this, and there's a there's a lot more. Uh, there's a lot more twists and turns um, involving prostitutes and uh, certain people who they decide to kill and who they don't decide to kill. And it's, uh, it, it's got a similar vibe to it comes at night. It's got that a 24 kind of vibe to it. Uh, it's real slow. Uh, there's a little bit of humor, but not a whole lot. This, this movie is very moody and I watched it and I was like, wow, that was, that was really good. And then by the, the next day I was like, Still thinking about that movie. I was like, man, that fucking movie. My heart can't beat unless you tell it to. And then the day after that, and I'm like, this movie will not leave me. It's it's buried deep inside of me. And I just loved everything about this. And it, it might I don't think this movie's for everyone because it does go kind of slow. But if it hit you at all like it did me, this movie's absolutely fantastic. And I love it. Wow. That is a huge endorsement from Eric Holmes. Bruce Perky, what did you think of this film? Uh, I think it is really good. Um, and I will, but I will add on the same thing, similar to what Eric is saying. Perfect example, Greg, you probably wouldn't want to have watched this because your instincts were probably right. If you weren't in the mood for that, you probably would not have enjoyed it because I would say this is pretty relentlessly bleak. I mean, this is not your feel good movie of the year. That is for sure. Now, that being said, it is very interesting. And I would say this director is does an amazing, it's a low budget, obviously, does an amazing job creating situations that are tense and letting them play out. And there are multiple scenes in this movie. And once again, we don't want to spoil it, but there's scenes where let's just say 
let's just say that um, Dwight, who is the older brother, who is the main hunter, I guess you'd say, <laughs> for food, he's ambivalent. And let's just say he's not always the best at following through. And let's just say that leads to a whole lot of complications. I mean, what would you say, Eric? There's at least there's at least two or three scenes in here that are like, they set it up, something happens, something doesn't go quite right. And you're like, oh, fuck. And yeah. they just let it play out. And it's kind of the way the whole movie plays out, honestly. The beginning is like, this is how it's supposed to go. And then the rest of the time, it doesn't quite go so well. So. Well, so there's a there's a part where the uh, the sisters in a car looking at someone mm-hmm. in a hotel. I knew exactly what was going to happen as soon as I saw oh. her in the car. I'm like, I know exactly. And usually and that's, that's a bad. Usually that's a, usually that's a bad thing in a movie where it's like, oh, I knew what was going to happen. It really works in this one because you know exactly what's going to happen. It's just a matter of, well, fuck, I see what's coming. Let's see how this is going to play out. <laughs> Uh, well, because you know the stakes at that point yeah. because they because that's the point so you know what's going to happen but it's different if they just had that scene come in cold and you knew what happened it wouldn't mean anything yeah. but they they set up all the stakes before that so when you know what's going to happen at that point you're like oh shit yeah. if this goes down the way i think it is i don't know how it's going to play out after that yeah. because you understand the dynamic yeah there, there's uh someone that's uh in a closet and mm-hmm. I, I knew exactly what was going to happen. There's only one way this can end. Uh, but then, but then you, and I, I, I think they do that. That hit. That's probably why I love this so much. It does that Hitchcock thing. It puts a bomb yes. under the table. You know, the bombs are under the table. You know how this plays out, but it doesn't, it doesn't blow the bomb up right away. It just lets it sit there for a while. And yeah. you're just like, how do the fuck? Well, and honestly, I mean, there's individual bombs, but the whole movie's a bomb too, right? Yeah. Like it's set up for the beginning. And like I said, you see the beginning and that's kind of like the perfect case scenario. But very quickly, you get an idea of the tension that's going on within the family. And that sets up the bomb. Like that starts the timer. You're just waiting when it blows up and how it blows up. And it kind of does it in stages. And I want to say one other thing, not to spoil anything. I I just just want to point out theoretical or uh, hypothetical bomb. There's no actual bomb. Right, right. But go on. This is the Hitchcock bomb. But also, it does a great thing. There's multiple times when characters get objects impaled on them and they don't get removed for a long time. <laughs> and that just, that just, I don't know why, but that really disturbed me. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. I mean, well, I just saw that. The thing is, though, that if that happens, that's what you're supposed to do. I know, but you never, <laughs> you never see that. You never see yeah. that. And, the, like, and it, oh, and I it got makes, a stab, pull it out. It's like, don't, you're going to bleed out. You're like, that's, that's what's holding your blood. And when I saw that, I was like, oh, oh. And it just, it's just like a whole other level. It's, it's like when you see someone's ankle break on a movie or something, and that just bothers you the whole rest of the time. It's what, kind of like that. It's just like, oh. So that was visceral too. Uh, this is a really good movie. I, I'd say it's, it, it doesn't quite go to the level that it does for Eric, for me. But I mean, that's not saying it's not a great movie with that one little aside that if this isn't your tone and your style it doesn't ever change from that tone and style so you may not like it because of that so yeah. I, another thing i loved about the 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 ending of this is it's uh it, it's one of the kind of endings i like like you say bleak but it's like a happy ending sort of yeah it, it does that one thing it was like well good for them sort uh. yeah <laughs> 
yeah. In <laughs> I don't want to describe. I don't want to compare it to anything because if I did, it would it would give you something away. Yeah. Although I will say, if you want a really old and a really new movie that I think I kind of hold the same DNA but are different, but also I haven't seen anything quite like it. This is the first vampire movie I've seen ever that I think has some of the same DNA as George Romero's Martin from like the early seventies. I, I feel like they have a, a similar, just a similar like worldview. So. So my heart can't beat unless you tell it to it's, I guess it's playing in select theaters, but you can avail it's available on VOD and digital platforms right now. Eric Holmes, part of what we do in find your film is to actually spotlight cinematic gems. Is this one of the, these movies that you really want to shout to the highest mountaintops hopefully one of those mountaintops isn't in the village some village in tunisia but do you want to actually shout out the mountaintops and and basically are these the type of movies that we should be covering you know like you don't want it to be buried this movie oh yeah yeah definitely this movie is a perfect blood diamond if we're talking gems (laughs) blood diamond if we're talking gems okay again that is my heart can't beat unless you tell it to just because Bruce and Eric both praised the movie. Eric really loved it. Might be in one of his top top 10, top 20 by the end of the year. Probably easy. Bruce at least gives it a very solid to a very good recommend. So this is uh, this sounds like a movie that I I was probably not going to watch, but I think I'm going to probably maybe do a rewind next week because I still have, who knows, maybe it might do the lonely squeal on me and expire, but I'm going to hopefully that <laughs> is still alive. Speaking of, of alive, Bruce Perky, do you have any recommendations? What is the soulful recommendation you have for us now? Oh, Eric yes. Holmes, I'm sorry. Yes. Uh, oh. can, can we pause for a second? Yes. Oh, uh, uh, yeah, we'll pause. Yeah. I, I need to bail in about five minutes. Should, should I just uh, want to finish Bruce's recommendation and then I bounce and then you guys can do it without me? No, or? No, this is what sure. we're going to do. Hey guys, we're back. Uh, Eric, you gotta you gotta leave us because you don't like me and Bruce. What ha- what's going on right now? What's going on? Yes. Right now, Eric? Um, what well, happened? Well, you mentioned the you mentioned the Green Knight thing, and I'm going to be meeting with uh, Peter Beta and William Lindis. Oh, and yeah, so, Peter Beta from the middle class film class. Yep, and we're okay. going to be doing a live playthrough of the Green Knight, and hopefully, we'll have something of that um, on our respective podcast to uh, oh, be able to tell you guys about. I, I object you leaving in several. You know why I can't leave in several minutes? Because well, Jack Fitzpatrick, a member of our, our Cinematics Facebook group, I didn't even mention this. I should have actually posted this on Facebook. He said one of his favorite parts of Find Your Film. He always get ja- gets jacked up when we get into the What's in the Box sequence, and we're not going to oh. get into it in three minutes because you know why he what his favorite part jack fitzpatrick he's a very good movie reviewer by the way and and hopefully i don't know one of these days maybe jack should be a podcatcher you know what his favorite part is eric holmes of a finder film what's that i mean I, you're just gonna have to do it and we're just gonna edit it out of place anyway eric what do you say to pete yo pete drop that beat who's in the box oh what's in the box you lie no What's in the fucking box? Hey, guess what? Someone gets off early. Eric, we'll see you next week. In three, two, I, I, one. I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna clock out, and uh, <laughs> but uh, I'll, I'll, I'll talk to you guys later. Take care, bye, man. bye. <laughs> Have fun. All right. So, <laughs> hello. Well, hello.
Greg, that guy, that guy's such a jerk. Now okay. we're all alone. I'm almost, I'm almost a total lonely. At the end, I'll just be crying all alone in the room. The loneliest whale. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm actually dipping out myself. Can you recording and editing this? Sure. Okay, I'm kidding, guys. We love Eric Holmes. Hopefully, he has a good time with the Green Knight. Now, let's get to your soulful recommendation for your weekly yes. recommend, Bruce. Summer of Soul. Now, this is in theaters. I believe selected theaters right now. So, if you can see it in a theater, go for it. When the Revolution Could Not Be Televised. That's what okay. it's the subtitle of it, I guess it is. But it's also on Hulu. So if you have Hulu, this is well worth checking out. This is probably going to be one of my top Come on, documentaries really? for the year. Oh, top. Do- okay. Okay. So for sure, this is, this is in the front running at the moment. I haven't seen a better documentary yet this year. This is directed by Questlove. So obviously Questlove. Never heard of him. Yeah. <laughs> unknown. He's some guy. I don't know. Anyway, obviously from the roots and a whole bunch of other stuff. If yeah. you should know Questlove. <laughs> yes. And this has been kind of making the rounds. I think this might have premiered at Sundance this year. So what this is, this is this is one of those documentaries that it works on so many levels because we have a lot of music documentaries where they have great performances and great musicians. And this certainly has that. But this has got so much more context and it's so beautiful. So what this does is basically it is the rediscovery of all of this footage from these series of concerts from 1969 in the park in Harlem for several weeks in a row, they were having these concerts in the park and there were thousands and thousands and thousands of people visiting, watching these concerts and they, and they filmed it and it was well-filmed and recorded and everything. And then essentially they weren't able to sell it to anybody and it just went into a basement and sat for what, 50 years. So, and then recently was rediscovered and, and became this project. Now that is, that is a crime. That is a huge crime. Yes. I think. So, uh, so like I said, just on a basic level, the performances themselves are fantastic. I mean, you've got Stevie Wonder, you've got uh, Nina Simone, Mahalia Jackson, you've got Sly and the Family Stone, you've got just, just luminaries of soul. And they're all performing like at the top of their game uh, at that era. What this movie does, it's really amazing. It's, it does a variety of things. It, it'll have a part of a song, and then it will cut in and give you a context. It'll give you the context of society at the time. It'll give you the reaction of somebody who was there as a kid watching it. It'll show you one of the performers that you're watching, if they're still alive, which some of them are, watching themselves perform for the first time in 50 years. It seems years. very not seamless. Doesn't, it seems very jagged. That kind it of isn't, cutting. though. It's, it's really it's beautiful. It's done so well because what they'll do is you'll have the song and then the song you'll watch a performance. And then maybe the second performance will come on by that artist and it will become the music behind the other parts of that documentary. And then it'll cut back in. And then maybe they've given you some context. So when you cut back into the performance, now all of a sudden you're seeing it from a different point of view, because now you understand where they were at at the moment they were performing there or where that person in the audience was at at the moment they were performing there. It's a really amazing document and it's a really, really amazing documentary. So I, I can't imagine unless you just don't love music <laughs> at all and you have no interest in history. And obviously it's super pertinent right now as well because some of the things they're fighting and talking about back then are just as vibrant now, just as you know important now. And to see, it's just, it's just really, it's really good. Is it one of those kind of documentaries that because of the good music, the social context, the interviews and the way Questlove directed it, does it go by fast? Meaning it, it, there's a lot yes. of material. Oh, okay. It's one of those. Wow, yeah. Really? Wow. Yeah. I don't know. This isn't, this isn't dull. This isn't boring. This is, like I said, it's, it's vibrant and active. And if anything, I felt like, wow, they need to release 
just the full footage for people too because it just makes you want to watch more music because you'll see like a snippet of for example Mahalia Jackson there's a really great point where they're talking about this song that was really important I believe this is the point where talking about a song that was really important to Martin Luther King and you get this whole context while the song is starting to go on they're talking about it and then Mahalia Jackson this you know famous you know elder statesman of soul she's out there and then Mavis Staples talks about she leans over to me and says I'm not feeling so well can you sing with me and then Mavis Staples is talking about how this is this amazing moment in her life that she's going to get to sing this song with Mahalia Jackson. And then you watch the song and you watch it occur. And then you see this moment where Mahalia Jackson is just really hitting it, right? She's just uh, fully in, in, into it. Yeah. The crowd's loving it. And then she puts the microphone over to uh, Mavis Staples and lets her do her part. And it's just, it's amazing. And the whole movie has moments like that. And whether you know the artist, it almost, it's almost even better if you don't know the artist. But even for myself, like, you know, I know Stevie Wonder. Everyone knows Stevie Wonder, right? And I always think of him playing the piano and, and just being funky and just great and soulful. And he is. And he's doing that. But then there's another song where he's getting behind the drum kit and he's playing the drums while he's doing it. And I'm like, I didn't remember that he played drums. And he's freaking amazing on drums. And you're just like, what the hell? Someone person should not have that much talent. It's, yeah. it's a great document. It's just a great documentary. That's it. You know, here, I, here I go name dropping again. Over maybe th- almost thirty years ago, I was a- actually able to interview Mavis Staples one on one somewhere in Century City, California. Did a one on one interview. It's a little bit wistful for me because back then I'm, I was, I, mean, I still am. I was a huge Prince fan, and I basically peppered most of the interview with her with her new album and questions about working with Prince. Little did I know she's a million times more there's a million times more stuff you can get into with Mavis Staples than my stupid questions of the day at least I was able to be in the same room and uh, oh there's a great context in here too talk about Prince they talk about Sly and the Family Stone mm -hmm. and you kind of get that context of how he's almost the first Prince and then when you watch him on stage it connects you know if you didn't already have that connection this is value added especially if you're like I'm a casual I, I like some soul I've you know listened to my you know, amount of funk and, and R&B and stuff, but I'm not a hardcore fan. But if you're, if you're like me, this is way value added. I think, I think you get like 10 times out of it. Okay. So that's another huge, strong recommendation from Bruce Perky. This is might be a number one with a bullet. As far as documentaries go this year, there's still a ton of documentaries that Bruce Perky will have to vote on. I'm sure the Afer, aforementioned reviewed Gunda might hopefully make his list as well or, or, or stray. Remember I don't even stray? consider that a documentary. That's like oh. a weird, <laughs> that's like its own weird art. Piece or maybe or stray, stray was interesting. Remember those stray dogs that we did? That yeah, was, that's an interesting little movie. But yeah, we we got a big recap. We we cover so many movies every single week. But I think honestly, I'm so glad that you covered Summer of Soul. I definitely want to check it out again, listeners. It's on Hulu. You have no excuse not to actually listen to some good music, some social contacts, some really good, insightful interviews. Okay, strongly recommended by Bruce Perky, who is closing out the show with his weekly "What's in the Box" segment because Eric Holmes had to go to play knights and shoots and ladders and wizards with Peter Beta, who Pete already dropped that bleeping beat. Let's just go right into your "What's in the Box" pick for this week. Who who gave you that pick and what is it? My son. <laughs> Andrew. Andrew gave it to me. Uh, this is Klaus. It's an animated feature on Netflix. It's been there for a couple of years now, I'd say. And I remember at the time, it got a surprising buzz because, and I remember this is one of those movies that everyone tells you, this is actually really good. This is actually really good. And you think to yourself, oh, great. Another 
cartoon about Santa Claus. I'm not really interested in that. You know, I mean, that's kind of where we're at in our lives, probably. But everyone keeps telling you. And yet at some point, the din kind of builds in your head. And you're like, okay, maybe there's something to this. So anyway, he pushed my hand and forced me to do it. So I watched Klaus. Uh, directed by Sergio Pablos. Well, can, before you start, can I say this? IMDb rating, 2019, 96 minutes, 8.2 out of 10 on IMDb. I never see that. Yeah. This is like one of those movies that's almost hard not to like. And the main characters are Jesper, played by Jason Schwartzman, Klaus, J.K. Simmons, and a ton of other voices. I'm not going to list them all. There's a ton of people you'll recognize voice-wise. But what this does, it's really fun. Uh, first of all, it's got great animation. It's really interestingly stylized. It's not that it's not that Pixar kind of look. It's it's a hand drawn style, which is really nice and and interesting and cool looking, which I like. And the, what it does is it's kind of like an origin story for Santa Claus, but it's not. It's like Santa Claus is almost it's almost incidental. So it's like you have this story that's not Santa Claus related that ends up becoming Santa Claus by the end of it. And the idea is this is that you got Jesper. He's this like spoiled rich kid, right? Living in the city or whatever. And his dad runs the postal service and his kid is just a, a, a ne'er-do-well layabout basically. And he's like, okay, fine. You're, you're a waste. I'm not going to, you know, put up the money for you. I'm not going to support you anymore. I'm going to send you to this, Basically, he's sending him to, you know, the Antarctica, but it's not. He's sending him to this place called Smearinsburg, which is this little island, this miserable little island. He says, you get to be there for a year. And if you can, you can get the Postal Service working there and mail out, I forget what it is, 60,000 letters or something. There's a, there's a number. Then uh, you can come back and I'll let you live back here again. But if you can't, you're on your own. And that's the basic. And he gets there and it's just this, it's great. It's almost this Dick, Dickensian terrible dark town of two feuding groups of just dark darkness and it's just constant violence between these two feuding sides of this town and it's just this very like you know uh, foreboding place you know he goes in and it's a, a whale skeleton hanging over the bay you know and he, <laughs> he he rings a bell and everyone attacks each other or he walks by a snowman and it's like little creepy kids staring at him while they're stabbing the snowman, you know, stuff like that. So it's just fun in that aspect. And Klaus is basically this woodsman living in, you know, often off, off by himself, who's sullen and angry and scary. And it goes from there. And it's just a great engaging story. It's wonderful and beautiful. And it eventually leads to Santa Claus, but in a very, very, very oblique way. Is it touching too? Is it resonant towards the end? Bit. Yeah, it's got those moments because the backstory for Klaus is really the heart of the story. Oh, and of course, you can imagine it's going to turn around Jesper, right? You know, he's this layabout. He's going to learn to be somebody, right? That's obvious. Yeah. But I mean, really, it's Klaus. Klaus is the, the key to the character. And, you know, J.K. Simmons, you've got very able <laughs> acting hands there to really give some gravitas to that character. This is one of those that you can watch any time of the year, too. It it is so barely a Christmas movie. It's like only a Christmas movie on the very tiny edge. So it's a great movie. Did you thank your son and, and apologize for not seeing it immediately after he, he recommended to you after these couple? Of I years? did not. Because <laughs> <laughs> I know he has a terrible movie waiting for me in the box still. <laughs> so. And what is that? What is that movie? Is that, is that the emoji movie or the, what is it called? Bobbleheads, the movie. Bobbleheads, bobbleheads, the movie. Okay. If I pick it today, it's going back in because he can't be two weeks in a row. Okay. This Right now, Bruce Perky is picking something from in the box. What's in the box? What's in the box? If you want to actually 
send a movie recommendation for what's in the box, by the way, just email Bruce Perky at Perky at gmail.com or just hit him up on our Cinematics Facebook group. Bruce, before you pick your, get your pick, what did, um, what did uh, Joe Russo say for you? What was, what was his, what's in the box? I'm trying to remember. What was his in the box pick for you? I already ripped up and put it in, but he said um, Ingrid Goes West. Ingrid Goes West is the, yes, very good. And what is- You've seen that, right? Yes, love that. Love Ingrid Goes West. As well, yeah, too. but uh, we've all seen it, but I haven't seen it for a few years, probably since about the time it came out. So I will gladly, when that pops up, we watch it again to talk about it because that's a, a, a very interesting movie that's not talked about a lot. So Okay, so what do we got, Bruce? Well, this is one that was donated to the box unknowingly by Joe Dante because we've never talked to Joe Dante. We'd love to talk. <clears throat> Hello, people out there. Can we talk to Joe Dante? <laughs> so Eric and I watched a live stream with Joe Dante and um, it was for the, I want to say the 40th or 50th anniversary of the howling. And he was, he just happened to, while he was there, he has this giant pile of DVDs and Blu-rays behind him because he's a big proponent of physical media. Like we are awesome. Yeah. And they asked him during it, like what was a movie that he had watched recently out of that pile? So when he said that I wrote it down and it's a movie yeah. called black book. And oh, it's directed a, by Paul Verhoeven, correct? No, this is an old, old movie. This is a movie from like the 40s or something. And I believe it has to do with the French Revolution. It's supposed to be a weird, noiry kind of movie called Black Book. It's not, I know you're talking about the Verhoeven movie. So yeah. this will be, I'm going to look it up and I'll, and I'll give you the information because this could be a really interesting one to check out. Okay, so this week's What's in the Box is unknowingly picked by Joe Dante. Oh, yes, so if sir. anyone out there wants to tell Joe Dante, we'd likely love to hear his take on it for us. <laughs> yes, and you know, I've, I'm going to drop one more time. I did interview Joe Dante for he produced a, a movie. I, I forgot the name of it. So I, I, I've had my shot of actually interviewing Joe Dante. Unfortunately, I am not up to the standards of Bruce Perky or Eric Holmes. They would do a better interview. So if Joe Dante is listening or someone or Joe Dante, have them on Find Your Film Podcast, especially, let's say, you know, Bruce, no, no, no disrespect, but Eric Holmes is really into, the, you know, Eric Holmes, the guy who just left us, left me and Bruce in the cold right now, but he really loves Joe Dante and Gremlins, and he's a huge fan of his oeuvre. Favorite Joe Dante movie? Oh, that's a Tough one. <laughs> the Burbs. Huh? I mean, the Burbs. Classic. The Burbs, the Burbs is really good. I, I ended up loving Matinee when I watched it recently, yeah. too, though. You know what? I, I can't pick a Joe Dante. There's too many great yeah. ones, and they're too different. Yeah. I mean, Grem come on. Gremlins is a perfect movie, so it's really hard not to pick Gremlins. So you want to pick something other than Gremlins, but you know what I mean? And The Howling. If you've never seen The Howling, The Howling is wonderful. Okay. That's The Howling starring D. Wallace Stone. Okay. That direct again, directed by Joe Dante. We've had a we have quite we had quite a day. We recorded with Joe Russo, close to an hour, and then now we just finished up our latest Find Your Film podcast. Hopefully, Eric Combs is kicking butt on that Green Knight role playing game that he's playing with Peter Beta from Middle Class Film Class and and William Lindis from what's the name of the podcast? Oh, Movie Bears podcast, right? Movie Bears podcast. <laughs> yes. Bad. How so dare anyway, you? How, how dare, dare you? Oh, oh, my my bad, <laughs> William. I'm sorry about that. So hopefully he's having fun. We're, me, Bruce, and Eric will have fun next week. At, next week, because we are reviewing a Nicolas Cage film. That are you excited about, Bruce? What's the name of it? And are you excited? I had to resist starting it before our podcast tonight. <laughs> Pig. What you call me? <laughs> well, yeah, it's called Pig. <laughs> hey, if I'm the loneliest whale, you can be the um, the I'll happiest be the, pig. I'll be the happy. <laughs> I'll be the happy, or maybe the jankiest pig. So we're we're gonna be covering pig pig next week with Nicolas Cage, a truffle movie, truffle pig movie, and then also the final 
the final chapter of the, uh, the Fear Street trilogy, and that is Fear Street Part Three, I believe, sixteen sixty six. Until I'm gonna edit this. No, I'm not gonna, edit <laughs> I'm not gonna edit. You know, this is not gonna be edit. Edward says Gregor Scissorhands. I'm gonna. You know what? This this week, Bruce, I might I might have a light touch. I might have a light touch on the editing, and you you get back to me. Use a light touch on me, Greg. I'm, I'm, <laughs> okay. I'm very sensitive. <laughs> okay, you know this is a this is an explicit podcast anyway, so I'm I'm not gonna cut that out. Anyways, that's an it's an e podcast, so I'm a lonely whale. You need to be friendly <laughs> to me, kind. So yeah, pig whale. I don't know if that's legal, folks, but we, we not it's neither here nor there. We will see you next week on Find Your Film. Thank you guys so much for supporting our show. Oh, I forgot, Bruce. We always lead off with a final thought from you. I, don't, I have nothing else to say. See you guys next week.